continue to listen to Chris Galanos. Uh, last week, you remember that we listened to his story as he moved from megachurch to multiplication. You know, I was really struck by the boldness of Chris as he was willing to risk everything that he had built and to lay it on the line that he would see the greater outcome, the greater vision that God had for him. I wonder what your takeaway was. But mine was the audacious vision, grabbing hold of God's vision and and the implementation of enduring passionate prayer and that laser-like focus of just doing whatever it's going to take. This week we continue on as we start to discuss some more principles or things like personal peace and and I'm sure you're just going to be super blessed as we continue to listen to Chris Galanos. Let me jump into one particular area, Chris, that we're talking about. Person of peace and a Western concept of culture. One of the pushbacks we get often is, you know this idea that you go out and you find a person of peace and you build church around that person, that that you, you build church around that community um, rather than drawing them into yours. That's good for Africa. I can see that it works in India. But, you know... Our culture, individualistic, um, it just doesn't work in a Western context. Um, what do you think of that that thought and how would you push back on that? Dave, I might agree with them if it weren't for our own experiences. <laughs> but because uh, I heard this just like they did in a training and I'm thinking probably the same things they did of, okay, I get it overseas are there really people of peace here that'll bring groups together that could become churches? Dave, there, there's just no doubt about it <laughs> because now we found them. And my dad, who was just one of our more fruitful disciple makers, uh, you know, I'm sure was somewhat skeptical too until he would find somebody like this. And then Dave, again, it's hard for you to believe it if you've never met somebody like that. But when you met a when you meet a lost person that is truly a person of peace, it's kind of like you say of your spouse, like um, you know when you're thinking about whether or not uh, you're you're dating somebody and you're trying to figure out whether or not to ask them to marry uh, you, and and people say, well, how do you, how do you know? You just you you know you know you you know when you know, and uh, it's kind of the same way with a person of peace. When you find them, it's like you know it because immediately they're everything you've heard a person of peace could be, but never thought you'd actually find in your context. Dave, I'll just give you an example. So like um, some of our most fruitful people of peace, we found in our, in our, the first context we were working in, which is Lubbock, it's now expanded across the world. But in Lubbock, Dave, one of the places that was most fruitful for us was the, the county jail. We didn't choose, we, we weren't thinking that's the place we want to be the most fruit. I mean, we, we didn't choose that. We just, as we're trying to plant seed, Dave, everywhere, guess where the seeds are bearing the most fruit? In the jail. And Dave, wow. it wasn't even close. And there's probably a number of reasons for that that we could go into, although I've heard now, especially in the West, um, a lot of people are bearing massive fruit in the jail. And Dave, what's cool about the jail for us, just an aside, it's not just about doing ministry in the jail. The jail gives you access when, because I'm talking jail, not prison, just for the, the listeners. Jail here is more like short term. Prison is long term. 
So people in the jail, Dave, are likely to get out and go back to their neighborhood in the next three, six months. or We would call jail remand centers. And um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so jails, Dave, we would focus there because they're not there for a long, long term. They could get out if they came to Christ and became a disciple maker there. They could get out and lead us into difficult neighborhoods we've been trying to get access to that we've had trouble getting access to that now we do through the jail. So, Dave, for us, the jail became like an access ministry. And by access ministry, let me define that. That's just a way that you go out and serve lots of lost people such that it opens up the opportunity to have spiritual conversations, which can lead to finding people of peace, which can lead to discovery groups. So, Dave, the prison, the, not the prison, the jail for us became like an access ministry. Dave, and here's what we would find. We'd find a guy in there, maybe either lost or um, uh, maybe even newly a believer. And they're just at such a low point that when they hear the good news of the gospel, that they can be saved by grace through faith alone, not of their works. It's a gift of God because they don't think their works are very good, Dave. Here's, here, here's the cool thing about working in the jail. Almost nobody in the jail thinks they're good enough for heaven. Everybody outside the jail thinks they're going to heaven because they've been good. People in the jail, they're sure they're not going to heaven for being good. So if that's how you get there, they're not going. But if you can go by grace through faith in Christ, they're like, this is the greatest news I've ever heard in my life. And so... Dave, they'll get radically saved, and then they'll immediately start sharing it with their cellies or their cellmates, the people in their pods. So Dave, my dad was going out regularly there. He'd find one guy. There was a guy named Billy he found. And this guy, Billy, was just like anybody else, but he found him. He began to have spiritual conversations with him, ended up starting helping him start a discovery group with some of his cellies, and he was just everything my dad had learned about in the training, Right. This guy's welcoming. He's gathering people together. He's sharing everywhere he goes. When he learns one thing, he does it. He's obeying every week. He's creating I will statements and he's doing them. And Dave, I got to share something with you. So um, let me see if I have it in my notes. Oh, yeah. So so eventually this guy's so fruitful. Dave, we, he, he starts a group that starts a group that starts. A, we've got like five generations of discovery groups, not churches yet. <laughs> five generations of lost people mostly besides him, maybe and a few others in a jail that are doing discovery Bible study each week or in a discovery group that are obeying and sharing the word and telling their family outside the jail. Okay, so eventually we take this one guy, Billy, through the uh, DMM training. We're like, we got this guy's become a believer. We've got to train this guy, give him some more tools. I mean, he is the ultimate person of peace. Now he's a believer, and now he's on fire. And so uh, he said that he, he <laughs> in our DMM training day, you put together a vision you know, for the area you're trying to reach. This is, I want your listeners to know, this is Billy. He's in jail. He got trained in DMM. And here's his vision, Dave. I'm quoting Billy. Our vision is for cell 6B in the jail to have an indigenous church planning movement that is led by a group of believers, thus allowing everybody in 6B to hear the gospel and have a chance to receive Christ. We'll be starting with the nine churches already planted in the past few weeks, Our end vision is to have all the males in the Lubbock County Detention Center to have the opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior by remote housing changes. They're going to change, they're going to change their pod to go reach people and DMM training so that discovery groups will be going on every pod. Furthermore, we also want to emphasize our goal for these church planners to carry this movement on to wherever their destination may be. (laughs) So my point about the person of peace thing is, you can say all day long, oh, in the West, we don't have that, whatever. You find one, and you will change your mind. 
So, yeah, wow. Well, anyway, that's, yes, that's what I would say. That, that's, a, that's a great story. And um, amen and amen to that. Tell us about Pipsy. Um, what, what, what is Pipsy? Um, we have a term in Australia when somebody drinks a bit too many wines or beer, they're tipsy. <laughs> tipsy. What, is, is that what we're talking about, Pipsy? No. What, is, what is Pipsy? Yeah, so here, here's kind of the origination of the concept. Dave, when we first started going out, we just went out somewhat arbitrarily our teams did into their neighborhoods and just into wherever they could think to go. And we noticed, Dave, we were bearing more fruit in certain places. And we weren't totally sure why, but we found, Dave, that when we were in the wealthier parts of town or the neighbor, more middle class to upper middle class, maybe some of the areas our teams lived in, Dave, people just weren't as open, weren't as open to spiritual conversations, weren't as open to DG invitations But when we would go to the jail or when we would work with the poor or when we were working with international students or when we were working with the sick, (laughs) Dave, it was different. And we were initially we weren't really sure why. But I think what we realized over time, Dave, is this. The Lord and Jesus talks about this in John five and six. The Lord is at work in the world. He's already working. And when he shows his servants, me and you, Dave, where he's working, that is our invitation to join him where he's working. That comes from Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God, if your listeners would be familiar with that study. He would always talk about this idea, Dave, of finding where God's working and joining him rather than you deciding where you want to work and asking God to join you. (laughs) You know what I'm Look for where God's working. And what we found, Dave is that God seemed to be working in some some different areas. Now, in Matthew 25, Matthew 25, uh, for, for your listeners, if they study this passage, it's not necessarily talking about these are the places where you should go out. We just saw a list of places there, a list of people there that um, were potentially uh, taking care of believers, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, uh, Jesus said. And... Um, these were people that Jesus said, you know, when you're helping them, you're helping me. So it wasn't, again, an an instruction necessarily uh, to work with these particular groups. We just found, Dave, that the particular groups we were working with were responsive, that were responsive, were the ones listed in Matthew 25. And and as you, most of your listeners would be familiar, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. But if you look at all those categories in there, you can sum them up into four categories. The poor, so this is the acronym PIPSI, the, the poor, which is the hungry, the thirsty, the international, P-I, international. I was a stranger and you invited me in. We had found that the internationals were super receptive because they were away from home. P-I-P, prisoner. I was in prison and you visited me in Matthew 25, prison, and sick. I was sick and you cared for me. P-I-P-S. So Pipsy, Pipsy, so that you can use it in a sense to talk about this group of people. We found, Dave, that those those four groups of people were the most responsive. And so we thought, well, maybe that's just the case where we're working. But we found, Dave, as the work multiplied outside of Lubbock and you know many others joined us, they found that the Pipsy places, and a lot of people like to use the Y now in Pipsy for youth, because we found that the youth now are, are fairly open. So these Pipsy people... 
tend to be more open to spiritual conversations, more open to discovery group invitations, and as a result, more likely to get a DG started and a church planted. So Dave, we thought to ourselves, we can keep insisting that God work in our neighborhood, and we hope that he does, and we'll still be around and um, you know, prayerful about that. Or we can say, Lord, whether it's our neighborhood or not, where are you working? And we'll be glad to join you. And we know that Jesus said the gospel would be good news to who? The rich? It's not what he said. Now, thankfully, it has been good news to some rich people. We're, we would be in the West largely very rich compared to the rest of the world. I'm glad we've received the gospel. But Jesus said the gospel would be good news to, got it from Isaiah, the poor. It's just they, they Dave, they just receive. They re, they're more open. They receive it. And so these gypsy people that kind of came from Matthew 25, Dave, we started talking about a lot because we would tell people in other places that were following our story, hey, when you start, instead of starting with your neighborhood, start in pipsy places. You'll likely bear more fruit more quickly. And Dave, it seemed to be true over and over and over again. So when I wrote the book, I talked about the importance of the pipsy people because it's like those are people God has prepared to receive us. And when you go there, you tend to bear a lot more fruit. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And when you think about when Jesus um, talked about his commission, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Yes. To preach good news to the poor. Exactly. And and to for the, for the prisoners. And uh, uh, just a, a quick look at that, that commission that, that Jesus talked about in Luke, at the beginning of Luke, after he's back in from the desert and he, he walks in and he opens a scroll and he says, this is the core that's that's there and surely the call of Jesus is our call and it's vicariously we we as we follow Jesus we're following it into those kind of areas brilliant brilliant um so yeah keep us going into the story you you've you're now starting to encourage people you've you've got this, you've set the sails you're you're engaging purposely in 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 different communities, you're seeing uh, persons of peace um, uh, being found in the harvest. Bring us in now, full speed into what does this look like? So, Dave, here's and so then then came another surprise. <laughs> so, uh, again, this whole journey was the Lord showing us things we didn't even expect along the journey, and us having the opportunity to either follow Him or do our own thing, and we tried to keep following Him. But Dave, so what happened was we were starting to see groups started. These these church planners in Lubbock and West Texas where this started, we're seeing groups started. We're seeing groups multiply. We're seeing some churches planted. But Dave, really the bigger story is evidently the Lord wanted to do it in more places than just Lubbock. I'm a local church pastor, so I just assume this is what we're going to pursue in Lubbock. I wasn't really thinking outside of Lubbock, but Dave, going back to what we said earlier, multiplication moves away from you. Addition brings them towards you. So now, Dave, without us even trying, people are starting to hear either some of our people are moving maybe and going to different places, or people are hearing about the story and calling us and we're taking them through a training, or they got the book from somewhere and they're reading it and they're hearing about it. And what happens, Dave, is all these people start to join us in whatever area they're in and doing the same thing. So so then we started to realize, okay, God's not just going to maybe help us see this million in West Texas. Maybe this million idea is many people partnering together, many churches partnering together to pursue this together across the nation or even around the world. So, Dave, we start, we start offering on our website. We still do. 
to take people through the same training we went through and the same training we took people in our church through. And Dave, as, as we did that, not most of the people that went through, I would say just a small percentage, would say, we want to be a part. Almost everybody, Dave, that went through the training said, I love this, we should do this. But still only, and David Watson would tell you this, only ever a small percentage is really serious and wants to begin to take next steps and get an ongoing coaching. So Dave, what happened was, from each of our trainings at the end, we would invite them to do ongoing coaching with us, meaning join us for, which we have some mutual friends in Australia that are in some of these groups with us. Yeah. But join us for an ongoing coaching meeting each week, and let's do this together. Let's just all chase this together. Dave, so over the last number of years, our team and then those that have joined us, and they can see this on our website, we've had the opportunity to train just over 5,000 leaders. Now, that number, Dave, is from last August. We're right now collecting data again. I don't know what it'll be this year after everybody's been training people. But we had trained, Dave, 5,000 some odd leaders with quite a few of them that wanted it to, to, to join us in pursuing this. And so what that led to, I'll kind of give a big picture and then we can drill down on any of it that you want to. Not just are the churches in Lubbock, Dave, trying to start groups. Now some churches in San Diego that have joined us in ongoing coaching, they're starting groups. And there's some churches in Portland that have joined us, they're now starting groups. And then there's some churches in Washington, D.C., and some churches in Georgia, and some churches in, you know, uh, Kansas. <laughs> I mean, all over the place that we're now hanging out each week talking about all the people we're training and groups we're seeing started. So, Dave, this is, if your uh, listeners, I'm sure they're figuring it out, it's, mul- it's starting to multiply. So over the just a couple of years, we now just in Lubbock, we had seen several hundred groups start, Dave. But when last August we took an audit of just the whole network, the whole family that's come together, we're now tracking 1,368 groups that have been started. Dave, I don't think we could have done that probably just in Lubbock. <laughs> you know? so, so now it's a, a broader vision, and we've had uh, you know just, just under 1,400 groups that have been started. And then, as the website shows, Dave, it wasn't just in a couple of areas. It was, when we tracked it last year, in 25 states and 33 countries. Dave, and for, most, for the most part, I want your listeners to know, this was not on purpose. We didn't have a vision to go to 33 countries. We didn't have a vision to go to 25 states. Dave, we had a vision to multiply. Yeah. And when you multiply, when multiplication is the vision, making disciples of a whole ethne of all peoples is a vision— then you can't control where it goes. You start to lose control. So, Dave, the church member last year, when we when we were tracking it, from the whole group of people working together, is just over 800 churches, mostly that are meeting in homes, uh, you know, around the world. Many of them are Gen Zero. Some of those 800 are Gen One. Some are Gen Two. We're not at movement stage yet. We don't have four gen jet and multiple streams of churches adding up to, you know, David Watson's typical definition of at least a hundred churches in two to three years. We're not there yet. We're in, in pursuit. But, you know, between those churches, Dave, between those churches, not even counting the people in the 1400 discovery groups, Dave, we have more people now that are a part of this than we ever had in our mega church. And yet we don't have a mega church. We don't have facilities. We don't have a huge paid staff. And we, we've already in just a few years, reached far more people. And so I can't imagine in this year, Dave will have to update you this year when we get the, the data back, what that'll be. And in the coming years, because it's multiplication, I won't be surprised if it's like, what, 
how I've never even met any of these people. You know? yeah. and, and look at what the Lord's done. So it's just another. It's just uh, totally different than what I was used to. But Dave, to me, even more exciting because it has the potential to reach millions. Yeah, just just brilliant. And there's quite a, a few things that you're you're talking about that are sparking there. A very similar story with with what we're doing with Praxis and uh, how we we pour into uh, leaders and multiplication and some of the some of the things that are, are happening are just so exciting. If we're talking to a, a catalytic leader who's got a vision for a city or or an area, um, uh, often the first response is, I've just got to get the training. But the training is not enough. Um, the training, uh, I think it was Stan who's, who said, you know, you train uh, without coaching. Um, it's, um, I'm trying to remember, it's, a, it's malpractice <laughs> or something like that. It was a, it was a great term that he used. Um, but um, yeah, training only captures a, a small group of people, five to ten percent of people who who get the training will actually go on to become practitioners. But coaching is one of the key elements here. Tell us the difference between training and coaching, and why is coaching so important? So. Dave, this is a great question because there's a lot of people that have gotten a lot of training and have not made a lot of progress. What's so wonderful about coaching is coaching is somebody a few steps ahead of you, taking you by the hand and guiding you in the direction you want to go. Training is often short term. You have eight weeks and you go through a training. You learn some new concepts. You put them into practice. You share them with others. Training is important, Dave, for sure. We all know that training is important. We need to know what to do. We need to know. We need um, to go to these various passages of Scripture that encourage multiplication. We need to ask the Lord what He's saying to us through them. We need to obey Him. We need to share them. Training is great. But what some of my friends have told me that have done a lot of training is that if you just train, though, then usually after the training is over, Dave, what you were putting into practice in the training doesn't continue. Mm-hmm. So the importance of ongoing coaching is you've been trained, you know what you're to do, and ongoing coaching every week gives you accountability and motivation, Dave, to keep getting base hits every single week. So much so, Dave, that I say this. I joke with people in jest, and I say, you know, we love the seven elements. And I ask people, of the seven elements, which one do you think that I think is the most important? And they'll say, oh, Chris, you probably think uh, prayer Prayer is the most important one. <laughs> oh, Chris, you get, we got to focus on God's word. That's got to be the most important one. Focus on God's bet you that's the most important one to you. And I tell people, in my opinion, Dave, I tell them, the most important one is number seven, ongoing coaching. And here's why. I said, Dave, without ongoing coaching, I'm not sure if you'll do any of the others. So ongoing coaching is so important because it helps us to focus on God's word. It helps us to multiply extraordinary prayer. It helps us to cast vision and train new believers. It helps us to go out among the lost and stay consistent and see groups start and see churches planted and see them multiply. So ongoing coaching to us is huge. And ongoing coaching is what? Ongoing. (laughs) It's not eight weeks. It's not 12 weeks. It's every single week we're getting together. How's it going? What's going well? What's not going as well? What is the next step you took? You said you were going to take last week. Did you take that next step? What's the next step you're going to take this week? Do you have any challenges? Anything we can help you with? Anything we can pray for you about? 
Dave, that's the coaching piece that without that, I don't know how you're going to get the traction that you're really wanting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about building team. And um, some when movements was, were first in being introduced into a Western concept, we see uh, a lot of us going, fantastic, I've got the five principles or seven principles or, or whatever they were within within movement. Um, but the, the missing component was that, that doing it together and, and doing it with others and being on team and and that perhaps is really key in the coaching concept is I belong to a group of people and we're trying to nut this out together. We're failing together. We're moving forward together. We're learning from one another. Um, we're, we're having iron on iron. Um, um, yeah. Do you want to just draw, draw us into the, the concept of the importance of team to catalyze movement um, cause that's probably one of the areas we, th- we, we trip up on in the West is just that, well, man, I know the methodology and, and we don't build team is based around coaching and accountabilities and, and growth. So, yeah, Dave, that's really good. So what's been cool about our ongoing coaching calls is, you know, most people, Dave, have a local team and then they kind of have the team that is the group they meet with on the coaching call. They have two kinds of team. One that they work with and they go out among the lost with Dave and they do stuff in their city with. Another is people that are doing the same thing they're doing around the country that they can learn from and that can encourage them and challenge them and so on. So I think teams are so important really in in both spaces. You don't want to be pursuing this alone. Jesus sent them out two by two locally. You want to have a team that gets together regularly, encourages one another, meets together, raises the sails together. And then Dave, what's been cool about the teams that have formed on our coaching calls is even if they may not be in the same area and actually going out two by two together, they're, they're, they become good friends and they're hearing about what the others are doing and where the others are having uh, success. You know, they can learn from that where the others are uh, having, you know, challenges, they can uh, help them with their challenges and vice versa. And so you come to these, uh, you know, these meetings and you're being encouraged you're encouraging with your challenges. People are helping you. And Dave, you just feel like you're a part of a, a, a global vision or at least a national vision, depending on the group that you're in. And you're getting to experience all of this together, both in a team on a coaching call and then also a team uh, locally. And so I think the coaching call teams are really awesome just because you're getting to rub shoulders with and have the iron sharpening iron with other practitioners all over the all over that person's particular country, or Dave, in some cases, maybe even around the world, and I think that's just really encouraging. Awesome. Tell us about what you think churches, um, because you you had a a really big gathering, and now you're talking about households. Um, what what is church, Chris? That's a good question because Dave, I think that we've added a lot to the biblical definition of church. I think let's let's talk about for a minute what church is not. <laughs> that helps us know what church ecclesia, what what church is. I, I think um, in, in some of these things, Dave should be obvious to us, and it's unfortunate that they're not totally obvious to us. But the church is not a building. Unfortunately, because the English word church comes from a German word that has to do with building, we associate church with building. 
And we think that unless you're going to a building, you're not going to church. The church is a people. So that's the first thing the church. The church is a people. It's not a building and it's not a place. And those people, Dave, these people that are called out by God, that have been saved by grace through faith, are a people that can meet anywhere. It doesn't have to be a building. A church is not a building. Number number two, a church does not have to have money. <laughs> you know, a church does not have to have paid staff. A church does not have to have a children's minister. A church, I mean, these are Western forms. That doesn't mean, Dave, a building is bad or, necess- or wrong or necessarily a children's minister is bad or wrong. And I've had all of these things. But it's not what the church is. The church is not weekend. You know, I'm going to church this weekend, Dave, from 10 to 11 a.m. It's a service at a church where, in many cases, people perform for you. That's not the church. <laughs> that's that's maybe a meeting of the church where the church is doing some things together. That's not the church. What is the church? The church is a people. These people are called by God, not only to salvation, Dave, to faith in Christ, But as a result of being born again, they're now on mission with that God in the world, trying to make disciples that make disciples. These churches are led by elders. There are are leaders in the church. And when the church gathers, Dave, this is, to me, what we don't see much in the West. If we're looking in the scriptures, and I I could go on for hours about this, so I won't (laughs) until spare you, but I think this point is important. If we're looking in scripture for some kind of a pattern or some kind of a guide for what a meeting of the church, ecclesia, when they gather together, what it should be similar to. The best passage we have in the scriptures for this, in my opinion, is 1 Corinthians 14. And the sense is, Dave, that when the church gathers, one person does not dominate the meeting. In the Western church, one person dominates the meeting. <laughs> I mean, but Paul got on to him because different people were dominating the meeting. And he said, if this person does this, two or three at most, and then another person can use their gift and two or three at most, and we're moving along because he said at the beginning day, everybody that's a believer, 1 Corinthians 12, has a gift, and that gift edifies the church. So when the church comes together, the point of the gathering is to be edified by the other people in the gathering, and how can you be edified by the other people in the gathering if they never get to talk, (laughs) you know, if they never get to share their gift or use their gift? The idea in 1 Corinthians 14, Dave, I think for the church is that the church, these believers on mission with God that gather at certain times and in certain places come together and they use their gifts to minister to one another and two or three teach and two or three exhort and two or three prophesy or whatever the gifts are that are available to the body in that space. Everybody's coming prepared to use their gift and you leave edified. And what often happened, Dave, Acts 4, they would be praying They'd be filled with the Spirit, and they, the place would be shaken, and they would leave preaching with boldness. So I think sometimes, because we don't have a gathering of the church like that, we often don't leave then now going out to preach with boldness. We just leave thinking, man, that guy, that talk was great, you know? And that's not church. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not church. Church are these people that are guided by elders that have been saved by grace through faith, that are on mission with God in the world, that are carrying on and baptizing new believers into the church, Dave, taking the Lord's Supper uh, together to remember and proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. That's the church, and I think in the West, Dave, that's not what we think the church is. Yeah, yeah. The model is so ingrained in, in us, isn't it? And then when we jump into movement spheres, uh, when we see the multiplying, rapid multiplying church or ecclesia in in places like India, it just looks different. And it just there's a there's a different 
different thing happening um, there. Uh, so good, so good, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. Chris, you have been so generous with your time. We're very, very honoured that you would just uh, take some time to encourage us and to pour into us DNA of movement and and disciple-making movements and seeing a leader like you in a Western context um, uh, just just flying. And really, we're, we're in the middle of the journey. We're well, at the beginning of the journey. God is, God is wanting to move so powerfully in the West. And, and as we start to see movement practitioners grab hold of this and catalyze all over the place, um, we have hope that maybe what we see in Africa and India and other parts of the world, that God would do this in our in our culture that he hasn't forgotten us. So, so encouraging. Thank you so much for your time and your pouring into us. Could you just finish our, our podcast um, with a word of encouragement and exhortation and um, to the listener, who who is is grabbing hold of this with a glimpse of faith and their vision is growing for for what God wants to do um, in in dis- multiplying disciples everywhere. Um, just just pour into that 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 worker that you you're seeing in your mind's eye there, and uh, yeah, finish us off with a word of encouragement or exhortation. Thanks, Dave. Really enjoyed being with you. One thing I want to encourage all of you listening with is a quote by a guy named Justin Long. If you don't know Justin Long, he's a movement researcher with an organization called Beyond. And uh, many people in the movement world know him as somebody that's kind of keeping track of what the Lord's doing in the movement world. And so he he can talk a lot and give us some great insight into what uh, practically is happening on the ground. And one thing he said that that, uh, really has encouraged me and that I think should encourage you, whether you're a pastor, you're a lay person, you're in a legacy church, you're not in a home church, you're just a disciple maker out there trying to multiply. As he said this, assuming you're committed to multiplication, the quote is, a team of two to three can reach 100,000. So to those of you listening, you don't have to recruit 1,000 people to see multiplication. You think, man, I can't do that. You don't have to recruit 50 people to see God do extraordinary things through you and through your desire to multiply disciples in churches. He said what they're seeing globally in movements is that teams of two to three can reach 100,000 because you reach the first group and then they reach others and then they reach others and you start to see multiplication. So I would just encourage you, do you have one friend or a family member, somebody you know that's on fire? Do you you have one or even two others that might want to do this with you, that might want to go all in on multiplying disciples in churches? Because if you do, I'd encourage you not to go alone. I'd encourage you to find a friend or two. But if you do with just two or three of you, I want you to know God can use you. You're a mom. You're an accountant. You're not in full-time ministry. He didn't say, the statistic is not that you had to be in full-time ministry to do this. If you're just a disciple maker and you're a part of a team of two to three, his observation has been you can reach 100,000. Could you believe that, that God could reach 100,000 people through you? What if you just, you know, live in your life, wanting to make and multiply disciples? What if God used you to plant 30 churches? What if God used you to uh, plant 70 churches? You go to places like India and you'll have people say, I'm an accountant, but I'm actually a church planner. I'm a taxi driver. I'm actually a church planner. I'm a doctor. I'm actually, I'm a church planner. And you'll have older ladies you'll talk to. She'll say, I planted 72 churches. 
You'll have young men, teenagers, hadn't gotten started much in terms of working or anything, uh, higher education, and they'll say, hey, I've planted 17 churches. So I want you to know God can use you. And if you can put a little team together, two to three, and begin to raise these sales, don't be surprised if one day you're saying, hey, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, but I've planted 51 churches, you know, and I've reached all these people. It's not I haven't done it. I've reached a few people and they've reached people, but I was committed to multiplication. And so we saw 100,000. God can use you. I'm praying that you'd have faith to believe that God can use you, just like the disciples prayed and said, Lord, would you increase our faith? He can increase your faith like he did ours. And he can help you to believe him for extraordinary things. And remember, the catalysts God seems to use are those who are willing to receive this God-sized impossible vision to reach an area. Would you allow God to um, give you a vision for 100,000 or 50,000 or 25,000? And would you believe that God can use you to reach them? I believe he can. I've heard about this. We're starting to see it. I believe we can see it through you. And I know Dave and I speak for Dave when I say we'll be excited to hear what God does through you in days and months and years to come. God bless you.